0: Well, again, let me say good morning to you. I'm glad that you're here, and happy Palm Sunday, the Sunday that traditionally in the church calendar kicks off this week, Holy Week. And we invite you and hope to see you at our Good Friday service this Friday. And next Sunday, we're going to raise the roof. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Thank you to everyone who asked. Had a lovely time away with the fam. Thank you, Pastor BJ, for bringing the word Last Sunday, we're going to continue in our series, Sermon on the Mount. You know, I <clears throat> overheard a college student, you've probably heard this one before, looking at, uh, looking at his buddy right around this time, and finals are coming up, you know, so close, so close to the end of the semester, we're getting there, and college student thinks, ref- reflects and says, you know, college would be awesome if it weren't for the classes. it's really true right can you imagine a store owner man this job would be easier if it weren't for customers right that's how it is your relationships would be perfect if it weren't for all these people am i right i don't know if you've considered it but your biggest problems are always relationship problems have you ever considered that your biggest problem, the thing that keeps you up at night, it's not we think, oh, but I got this financial worry, or I got this basement that won't quit leaking, or I got this. No, no, no. Your biggest problems, the things that really keep you up, they're relationship problems. They're that prodigal child or or that that boss you can't deal with, or or that, that coworker, or that, that, that friend that you used to be so close with and now it's severed. That's the stuff. It's it's relationship problems. And so Jesus, of course, in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, quite naturally, he comes to Matthew 7, and the thread that connects these parts of the Sermon on the Mount, they're all about how a Christian relates. Jesus is calling his followers and he's saying, here are, here, here's how I want my people, here's how my kingdom people are going to relate to others. And so there's these kind of four sections and they build, the first three build to the fourth. I'll go ahead and give them to you now so you can see where we're going. The common thread is relationships. First, how a Christian relates to other Christians. Second, how a Christian relates to, the people who are being utterly unreasonable. They don't, they don't want to reason. Then third, how a Christian relates to the source of all good things, the Father. And he ties it all together with how a Christian relates to everyone. Got it? So we'll, we'll put these back up here as we go along, but that'll be the guiding outline. So let's get started. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. And we're gonna start with how a Christian relates to other Christians. It is perhaps one of the most famous things Jesus ever said. Going back through the Sermon on the Mount, has it struck you how much of common English parlance uh, comes straight out of the Sermon on the Mount? Like, there's so much in here that we get because Jesus said it. Like, uh, don't toot your own horn. That's Matthew 6, right? Don't sound a trumpet when you do your giving. Well, this one, this one's everywhere. You see this everywhere. You hear this all the time. Jesus said it. Perhaps one of the most famous things he said, verse 1, you know it? Judge not that ye be not judged. There it is. The title of my sermon is, Judge not that you be not judged. I don't want to hear how you rate this sermon. <laughs> Judge not. Right? Look, this is a command. What does it mean? Boy, you talk about, you talk about a verse that so often gets ripped out of context and applied conveniently this is it we make judgments all the time we're expected to make judgments no one has ever said to me, sports politics whatever you're expected to make can you imagine two guys talking one of them says we'd have beat georgia if we could have run the ball and somebody says hey judge not that you be not judged like, what are you talking about? I'm just giving my advice on how to run a football team. Exactly. Judge not that you be not judged. Like, nobody does that, right? But when you bring out a moral category, whoo, suddenly judge not that you be not judged. So there's confusion. Are, are we to never make judgments? Is that? No. that. This verse does not mean we're never to be discerning. We're never to make any judgments. That doesn't pass the scripture test, and it doesn't pass the common sense test. What do I mean when I say it doesn't pass the scripture test? Well, just a few books away in John 7, Jesus is teaching, and he tells his hearers to judge rightly. Use your brains. Use discernment. In John 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he commands his people here, do not judge that you be not judged. He doesn't mean never make a discerning judgment call because he literally commands in three gospels from now, he commands his followers a a, a judge with right judgment. Later in the New Testament, the Bible warns against false prophets. So he doesn't mean never discern anything. I mean, there's literally a book in the Bible called Judges, Right? So when I say it doesn't pass the scripture test, to say, well, this verse must mean we're never to make any moral discernment about anything. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't doesn't pass the common sense test. Does that mean there can never be another? Okay, students, you go back to school this week. You've had a week of spring break. Try this one out. Can a teacher no longer grade your essay? Can you imagine? You get your math test back and you failed. Can you imagine? Try this. See how it works. Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. I know you say I failed this test, but I got one thing to say to you. Judge not, lest ye be not judged. You let me know. Don't really do that, okay? You let me know how that works out. Can a cop not pull you over if you're driving on the wrong side of the road? You're on the wrong side of the road. Pulls you over. Hey, officer, judge not, lest ye be not judged. You see my point. It doesn't pass the common sense test. So when he says do not judge, what does he mean here? He's saying don't have a harsh, critical spirit of condemnation. That's what's being outlawed. A censorious spirit. I was reading in a book, and they said one of the ways you know you're growing as a Christian, you're becoming more mature, is you have less and less of a censorious spirit. And I was like, wow, I wonder if that's true for me. I guess it depends on what on earth the word censorious means. (laughs) So I looked it up in a dictionary. That's a book before there was Google. And I found censorious spirit means severely critical of others. That's what Jesus is forbidding. He's saying, no, 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 my followers are not going to be censorious. They're not going to forbid others. You might say it this way. When you judge me, what you're doing is you're sizing me up and writing me off. So when Jesus says, do not judge, he says, don't size me up and write me off. Don't size me up and write me off. Often we size somebody up on a lot of external appearances. We don't know the whole story, and then we write them off. That's condemnation, writing someone off, saying they're beyond the pale. That's what he's forbidding. And that's why it strikes me, it's interesting, this judge not, lest you be not judged, has been taken up in popular parlance. And I I see this on uh, t-shirts, I've seen this on slogans, I've heard people say it, right? Occasionally there's some tattoos that say this. And and, and the phrase is this, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And on the one hand, (laughs) that strikes me as a little odd. On the other hand, I think they got the right sentiment. (laughs) It strikes me a little odd because it's like, hey, only God can judge me. I'm like, and that's comforting to you? Like, how does that in any way, that's like saying only death can kill me. Yeah, uh, that's true. So it's odd, but I will say this, I will say this. I, I think the sentiment, I think what somebody's trying to say when they say only God can judge me is this. Hey, you don't know my whole story. You don't know what I've been through. So don't just size me up and write me off. And if that's what they mean when they say that, That's pretty close to what Jesus is saying. Only God knows the whole story. Only God knows the truth. And so in a sense, they're right. Only God can judge. Well, what they mean is don't size me up, don't write me off. And that's what Jesus is forbidding. He's forbidding condemnation. One of the most freeing turning points in your life is when you get out of the condemnation game altogether. When as a Christian you decide that you will no longer give out condemnation and you won't really receive it either, you're just out of the condemnation game. You don't do condemning. In Romans 8, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't give it, we don't receive it. Dallas Willard has a great line about condemnation. He says, the decision to step aside from condemning, neither giving it nor receiving it, is a major turning point in one's life. That's true. That's one way Christians can be so different from the world. We don't do condemnation, we don't receive condemnation. Because when you condemn others, there's always a little bit of self-righteousness, right? Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that, or I would never do that, or I don't see how anyone could do that. You see how we distance ourselves from others as if we're above it. But a Christian response would be to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. See? So getting out of the judging others game is freedom. But still, there's a lot of confusion around this. I mean, again, it doesn't mean you can never have a discerning thought. It just means consider the standards to which you hold other people. There's still a lot of confusion. So Jesus further clarifies. He goes on to further clarify. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ah. So it seems like what Jesus is saying here is, you might say, is that there are two scales. And how do you want to be measured? How do you measure others? Which, which set of scales do you use for others? Because that's the set of scales that you would want used on you. And the two sets of scales are the justice scales. Hmm? Justice, the standard, man. Truth, law, the justice scales, and the mercy scales. <laughs> The mercy scales, lots of, lots of grace in the mercy scale, right? takes a lot to tip that scale. There's a lot of excuses made. There's a lot of allowances made. So is it the justice scale? Which measurement do you want to use? Will you use the justice scale or the mercy scale? Let me ask you, which do you tend to use? Which do you prefer? It's a tricky question because it, it depends, Right? It depends. Do you find, are you like me? It depends. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. You don't have to answer out loud. You certainly can. Feel free to. Um, but uh, uh, let's illustrate it like this. Should Alabama state troopers, you guys been driving on the highways lately, right? Should Alabama state troopers enforce traffic rules more or less right now? Should state troopers be more, should, should there be more justice scales or should there be more mercy? It, de- it depends, doesn't it? It depends. Because there's nothing more satisfying than when some wild person flies around you at 100 miles an hour, and they're cutting in and out of traffic. I ask you, is there anything more satisfying? A few miles later, you see them pulled over. You're like, why? Justice! We love the justice! These troopers need to crack down, and we all love the justice scale. Until what? Until those blue lights are flashing behind you. And then what are you thinking? Mercy. (laughs) The troopers need to be filled with mercy. Does everybody understand my point? It's interesting. Jesus says that if if you want the justice scales, careful now. If you're going to use the justice scales, then when those blue lights are behind you, justice is just that. Just. So maybe, maybe. Consider the mercy scales. Don't, don't have two sets of scales. Think about it. Which set of scales are you going to use for other people? We talked about state troopers. You know, I know sports are big down here, big deal down here. Let's, uh, let's talk about referees. Okay, let's don't, let's don't. Should refs call the game? Some of you watching March Madness. You know, I'm talking about basketball. Should refs call the game more tightly? Blow the whistle, stripes, or should they just let it go? It depends. I have observed that at a second-grade basketball game, if our side gets fouled, then the stands are up and blow the whistle. That's a foul. We want the justice scales. But on the other end of the court, when our player does the fouling, it doesn't matter why. They could punch somebody. They could stand over them. They could stab them with a prison shiv. Like. Then as all this is going on, there's blood going everywhere. My, they stands cry, cry out, oh, let them play, ref, let them play. What's going on here? Well, it seems there's two sets of scales. And Jesus is saying, why don't you throw away the justice scales for a minute. And when you judge others, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And ironically, in saying that, if you're merciful to others, that's actually just fair. The standards you're holding others to. You be held to. Uh, Francis Schaeffer gives this incredible illustration uh, uh, to, he, he was using it, I think, as an, uh, sort of an apologetic technique to a secular culture. And he's saying, well, what about people who don't, you're gonna say they're gonna be judged by God? What about people who didn't know God's standards? What about people who don't know the Ten Commandments or something like that? And, and you could go a lot of different, there's a lot of ways to answer that objection. But to me, one of the most clever is Francis Schaeffer who says, okay, well, imagine you stand before God, and God allows that, okay, you didn't, you didn't know my standards, you didn't know the Ten Commandments, and so, you know, w- what if, I don't think this is the right, Schaefer doesn't say this is how it's going to happen, he's saying, imagine with me, what if, God says, well, okay, then to be fair, I won't judge you on my standards, look around your neck, and suddenly you look down there, and you see, there is a tape recorder. Now, to everyone under 40, a tape recorder was like a, it's hard to explain, it was like a just imagine like a phone, like, okay, and it recorded stuff. And, uh, and, and you say, I never saw it. That's right, it's invisible, but it's been there your whole life. Really? Yeah, and it's a very special recorder. It only clicks on certain times. It only is triggered. It's voice activated and only clicks on when you said, any time in your life, when you said, you know, people ought to, it clicked on. I believe everybody should, clicked on. I can't believe, you know, they ought to, clicked on every time you had a standard for somebody else, it clicked on. So since you don't think it's fair to be judged by my standard, I'll do, uh, we'll do this. I'll let you into heaven if every time you set a standard for everybody else, if you met your own standard perfectly, you can come in. If not, I'm sorry, no. Who of us could stand before that judgment? We can't stand before God's standards. We can't even stand up to our own standards we have for others. That's what Jesus is saying here. One of the most famous stories of, of in the Bible about truth and justice versus mercy is the story in John 8 when they're trying to trick Jesus and they bring the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman caught in the act of adultery. The point is there's no denying her guilt. And they say, teacher, in the law Moses says we should stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? Is it going to be mercy? Oh, do you not care about justice? And Jesus says the most remarkable thing, you know, after riding in the dirt and they have to keep uh, pestering him. Do you remember the story? He stands up and says, what nobody expected. He says, kill her. He says, throw a stone. You you want justice? Have justice. Take this rock, bash her body in until the ground runs red with the blood of fulfilled justice. Just do it with one condition. Throw the stone. Just do it with one condition. And the condition is, let he, you remember this? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Pharisees went away that day. interesting, interesting. He didn't let the woman off the hook. He put everybody on the same hook. It was as if to say, you want justice? Are you sure you want justice? Okay, Well, if if the wrath of God is gonna rain down on this woman, let's just be clear. If God's justice is gonna come down on her, then it's gonna come down on all y'all because that's fair. To which suddenly we were like, you know, we said we wanted justice. Actually, we prefer the mercy scales. Wise. It was a lived out illustration of that verse right there. Well, uh, one last illustration about these uh, uh, scales. I read an article recently, fascinating. Airbnb, Airbnb, you can go on a vacation and uh, uh, get somebody's home or something like that, and you stay, and there's a host, and it's a website. It's a, you know, just a vacation rental home. Airbnb has a problem with their ratings, It's not that they're rate. oh, 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 and then you rate the the home how it was, and that's how other viewers know if it was a good place to stay. The problem with Airbnb's ratings are not that they're too low, it's that they're always artificially too high. Five stars almost every time. Five stars. That means the same thing that could be like this beautiful villa by the sea in the, you know, the Ritz-Carlton of Airbnb's gets a five star, but so do like this sort of run as place in a rundown crummy neighborhood it gets five stars and airbnb's trying to sort this out why do they everybody's giving them the, it's not helpful anymore because nobody can really discern you know anything less than five is a failure and so it's got to be five stars and they're trying to figure out what to do and the writers of the article figured out what, what they assume what's happening is why are these ratings why does everybody i mean there was a a brick thrown through the window and a couple false fire alarms but that's okay five stars why do users keep doing this and the answer is, not only does the guest rate the host, but on Airbnb, the host also rates, how did you do as a guest, one to five stars. And suddenly when people realize they're going to be rated, suddenly they're like, five stars for everybody. <laughs> because they realize, wait a minute, the measurement which with I used to measure, that's the measurement I'm going to be measured with. Well, it's not, it's not just unmerciful to use the, the justice skills on everybody all the time. It's also hypocritical. Keep reading. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log? Another translation, the beam, right? That's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother... Let me take that speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. Now, Jesus is using humor to make a serious point. Look, a little speck of sawdust or a splinter of wood in your eye is a problem. Fair? Nobody wants a little splinter of wood in their eye. A splinter is not easy to live with. Jesus was a carpenter. He would have understood this. No doubt this happened to Jesus as a boy. A splinter would come up. You want, well, you yeah, think about it. You want, that'd be great to have someone help you remove it. And so who, who comes along to help you remove it? Mr. Log in the eye. Jesus says he's got a 40-foot beam five feet around that holds up a house coming out of his eye. Come here, you, with the speck. All right. I'm going I'm to get that out. I'm going to take care of that for you. Jesus says that's hypocritical. He's using humor. Why do we do that? What's his point? He's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't you do it the other way around? Consider your problems large and your neighbor's problems small. We tend to do the opposite. Sin blinds us to our true situation. Here it is. We tend to trivialize our sins and magnify the sins of others. I'll say it again. We tend to trivialize our sins and magnify the sins of others. Why do we do that so naturally? Why does that come so naturally to us? What is it about our blind spots that we can so easily see your issues? It's so hard to see mine. Like, imagine you you go to a marriage conference and your spouse is not able to go, but you still had the tickets, so you went to the marriage conference by yourself and you come home. Honey, it was incredible. It turns out there are three things I need to do to be a better husband to you. And there are 24 things you need to do to be a better spouse to me. So let's start with your top 10 right now. Let's get, we laugh because we can relate to that so naturally. And if, if, if you thought just now, if your thought was, I would never do that, but my spouse probably would. You're illustrating my point! that's literally my point. We can't see our own stuff. We see, we trivialize our sins. We magnify the sins of others. And Jesus says, let's don't do that. Let's do that the other way around. Let's make our sins seem painfully large to us while our neighbors seem small. How do you start to do that? Well, one way is, you know how when you mess up, there's always more to the story? (laughs) You know how when you make a mistake, it's like, yeah, but you got to understand. There was a reason. There's some complicated stuff going on that you don't understand exactly. Let's just start there. For everybody who's sinned against us, let's at least allow for the fact that that though they may have sinned, and though Jesus certainly would would, would not want us to enable uh, someone to sin against us, no question there. Uh, But I think what he's saying here is let's allow that there may have been some complicated things going on behind the scenes that I wouldn't understand. In other words, the same grace we extend to ourself, Jesus says, can we extend that grace to others? In fact, at that point, that's not even grace. That's just fairness. That's common human decency. That's just fairness. To not do that is hypocrisy. And here's why, here, this is the amazing thing. This, to me, is the most surprising of all. And this kind of rounds out the judge not, lest ye be not judge. He actually, Jesus actually wants you to help your brother out. Uh, uh, several commentators pointed this out. I'd never really thought about it. The point, a lot of people are like, judge not lest you be not judged. You got a big old log in your eye. Don't be looking at a speck in somebody else's eye. That's not where Jesus finishes. He finishes with, you need to be able to help see your brother clearly to help help him. Uh, He wants you to help your brother out. Look at the verse. Look at verse five. He just wants you to do it in a very particular way. Uh, One commentator, I love it, he called this chapter the loving art of speck removal. He's like, speck removal's a thing. He, look, 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 you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And that's where a lot of people think it ends, right? Don't be worried about others. You got your own stuff. Yeah, but worry about others because you love them. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You'll have the proper perspective. You'll see clearly. This is incredibly practical advice. You can begin doing this today. You can begin doing this in your Sunday school class, on the ride home, at a restaurant. You can take Jesus' words and the Sermon on the Mount and literally change the way your day-to-day life works. It's incredibly practical. What's he saying? Remember, the eye, think about it. The eye is a very sensitive organ, isn't it? The minute you touch it, it closes up. Jesus says, that's how people are. Can you imagine? I've, I've, got, this, I've got this speck in my eye, but my eye, and it's already starting to water. It's turning red, but it's a sensitive organ. Can you imagine? Here, come here, start digging around in here. No, I need you to do it with tenderness. And if I see somebody a mile away with a beam coming out, hey, you, I'm coming for your eyeball. Like, whoa, no, right? right? But somebody who has dealt with their own stuff will, for one thing, they'll understand the pain. They'll understand how sensitive and they'll deal with me with humility. In fact, that's exactly who I want helping point out things in my life that don't belong. I want somebody who's got some gentleness, who's not censorious. They're not severely critical of me. They're not harsh. They love me. And for anybody who's gone through some sin and, and, they, and they thought, I've been forgiven of this sin, but God can never use me. No, you're, the, you're, the, you're exactly who God can use the most. Why? Because you've been through it. You've, got, you've dealt with some stuff. And now you'll understand how to be compassionate with somebody. You'll understand how to be merciful. you understand that, yeah, it's easy to fall. It's easy to sin. Here, let me help you. Uh, otherwise, you're just kind of going around poking people in the eye with your advice. Uh, uh, have you ever, um, uh, some, some marriage uh, book I was reading, uh, the, the couple made a good point. They said, in a, in a marriage, they said, remember, advice is like garlic. A little goes a long way. <laughs> it's really true. And so he was making the point in this marriage uh, 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 book that it might be wise to ask, hey, I have some thoughts on this. If you would like my advice, I'll share it, but if not, I totally understand. You're not in a place where you can receive that right now. That's a way of being sensitive. In other words, that's like dealing with someone in their eye. It's saying, you would ask, right? But I wouldn't just dig around in your eye. I'd say, hey, can I help you? Do you want my help? And the same thing with advice. There'd be a kind of tenderness there. Oh, listen, that is so practical when you start to think that way. Wait, wait, wait humility. Before I ever can help somebody else out, I got to be able to see clearly. I got to see myself before I would ever say, how could I, I would never do that. Or how could those people do that? No, 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 no. Whoa. I've got, I've got planks in my own eye that need to come. Then I can help with others. There's a, a song that illustrates this. I can see clearly now the plank is gone. It's very helpful. Gospel music. So let's sum this up. In other words, what the passage is saying is this. When someone judges me, I want them to take into account all of me. But, you know, consider the home I was raised in. Consider the pressure I was under. Don't just look at this one thing. I want you to help me with mercy and tenderness. Don't just size me up and write me off. You might sum up what Jesus is saying like this. In whatever manner you wish that others would judge you, judge also them. (laughs) And how do you like to be judged? In one word, not. You like to be judged not. Then judge not that you be not judged. In the same manner you wish others would judge you, judge also them. Well, in the brief time remaining, I want to walk through these others. Once you get the hang of this, I think we can move through these a little more quickly. How, number one was how a Christian relates to, because some of you have not forgotten I had four points up there. These others won't be the same link. Number one, how a Christian relates to other Christians. Number two is how a Christian relates to internet trolls. I put unreasonable, but it means the same thing. This is when somebody is not willing to be reasoned with. They're not listening to reason. They're an internet troll, and it is amazing to me how many Christians will continue to offer their pearls of advice, and I'm like, whoa, don't feed the troll, right? How a Christian relates to the unreasonable, Jesus says it this way, verse six. Do not give to dogs, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, what on earth is he saying here? Is he calling people dogs and pigs? No. He's saying there are times when people are so hostile to the gospel, they have switched off the thing that makes them human. That's compassion, empathy, and reason. They're so hostile to the gospel. They're so hostile to your pearls of wisdom that they are no longer acting like humans. They're now acting like beasts. And he picks two animals, one of which may make sense to us, one of which does not make sense in our modern culture. When he says, don't give to dogs what is holy. I'm so sorry. No offense to all you dog lovers. He's not describing your dear Fifi. Dogs in Jesus' day were scavengers. Think jackals, ferocious and greedy. The most modern uh, uh, parallel I can think of is coyotes. He's saying, would you go up to Huntsville and have a really expensive steakhouse? And right as your steak is served, say, excuse me, before I even dive into the first bite, will you take the very best prime cut of this filet, and will you box it up, and then I'll enjoy the leftovers? Yes, that's very odd. Why? Because when I get home, I want to throw this behind my fence for the coyotes that wander through my yard at night. Most people want to do something else to coyotes that wander through there, right? You wouldn't take what's, what's set apart, you wouldn't take this good stuff and give it to coyotes, in the same way, pigs would have been the most unclean animal a Jewish audience could possibly imagine. Dirty, like a wild boar, they'll turn and attack you. Jesus is saying, when someone has become so hostile to the gospel, it does no good to continue force-feeding your pearls of wisdom. You've got the gospel. You know how they can be saved. You know this, and you could, you could keep trying to force that on them. In this scenario, Jesus says, no one wins. You don't win because they're going to turn and attack you. And the pigs don't win because pigs don't want pearls. They want food. (laughs) And they simply don't want to listen to you as you go on and on and describe. You could talk to a pig all day long about the value of this pearl, and they're going to say, what I'd really rather have is slop. (laughs) Right? But don't you see it? No, that's the point. Your pearls are being trampled. They'll attack you. Now, this does not mean we don't give the gospel freely. Of course we do. We spread the gospel freely. But even when Jesus, and thank you to everybody who uh, came out yesterday, what a, what a cool idea, this gospel to everyone, where over the course of the next year, all the churches in Coleman County uh, that will participate are coming together to try to get gospel tracts on every door of every house in the whole county. And we did our share yesterday. First Baptist was assigned, I think, something like 500. And then uh, the West Coleman Association asked us, well, could you take a few more? And so now, what was I going to say? <laughs> like, I'm like, absolutely. We ended up with like 950 something. But we had so many people come yesterday that it made for light work, so yet the gospel goes out freely to everybody, yes, but even when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, "Look, if a town doesn't receive you, if they've become hostile and closed off to the said no to, to, to the point of hostility, don't keep going there day after day just." Shake the dust off your sandals and move along. Maybe another time, maybe another Christian will be able to share with them. There comes a point when you realize it's not reasonable, that they won't be reasoned with, and some of the most unreasonable actions happen online. Stop casting pearls in this way. It's time to get out of the social media comments section, probably altogether. Well, I'll say it this way. You don't like it when someone arrogantly tries to force an opinion down your throat. Don't arrogantly try to force your opinion down someone else's. You might say it this way. In whatever manner you wish others would preach to you, preach also to them. I uh, was sitting in a sermon uh, last week since I wasn't uh, preaching here, and I had preached my duties and and preached the Sunday school and, and done all this, and I thought, well, huh, it's been a long time since I've just sat through a sermon. I need to remember, in the manner you wish others would preach to you, preach also to them. And I, I think 30 minutes is how I want to be preached to. And I've, <laughs> I've got to start doing that to others. Anyway, Jesus sums up the passage. He knows that his listeners are gonna struggle with this. The Sermon on the Mount is to be lived out day to day, but it's a challenge. He recognizes, so he pauses here and says there's help and grace available in meeting the challenge of how to live it. So how a Christian relates to other Christians, we covered. How a Christian relates to the unreasonable, casting pearls before pigs. How a Christian relates to the Father. Look at verse seven and eight. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What a promise. I know it is common practice for preachers when they quote this promise of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. I know it's common practice for preachers in the very next breath to, to, to backtrack this and to say, Well, wait, no, wait a minute, this doesn't mean everything you ask of God is immediately going to be done. We know that, we all know that, Uh, for lots of reasons. God is not some uh, magic genie in a lamp. And, and, And more to the point, why would a loving God give us the power that everything we asked for would be done? No human has the wisdom to have that kind of power. You know that, right? If God gave me everything I ever wanted, I could not be trusted to ever ask for anything again, because I would invariably ask for things that would ruin my life. So we know that. But I think the larger problem with this passage is not that Christians will abuse it. Of course it could be abused. I think the larger problem is that, at least in my ministry, people do not take advantage of this promise enough. To tone down, what a shame, to tone down one of the most sparkling and generous sets of promises anywhere in the Bible. I don't... I, my fear is not that people will walk out of here and abuse this. Well, I asked and God didn't give it to me so he... No, no, no. No, my fear is that people will walk out and just not take advantage of this promise. That's what children do to their father. They ask. They try to prevail upon. And Jesus is inviting. Ask. Ask. It'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock. It'll be opened. That's what children do with their parents. Jesus points out this very thing. Or which of you, verse 9, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Come on. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him A serpent? What? It has scales? Close enough. No. No, if you then who are evil, there's sort of a a sideways theological comment, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I wonder if our refusal to just ask God for what we need leaves God sad or puzzled. Why aren't his children telling them how life's going? Talk to him. Go to him in prayer. Of course God's generosity could be abused i suppose but i think the larger problem is we're not treating god as a father who cares let him know how things are going for you today when was the last time you asked him for what you really wanted not just for what you're supposed to ask for ask and search seek knock see what happens expect some surprises along the way but don't ever expect god will let you down this is that argument from the lesser to the greater if you if you humans can get this right how much more I don't mind my kids asking for stuff, by the way. I really don't. I, I, I hope they know that like most parents, my desire is actually to say yes. But all I ask is that if I say no or wait, they'll trust me that I know what's best for them. That's all I ask. My desire is to say yes, probably more often than they realize. But all I ask is if I have to say no or wait, all I ask is my children will trust me on that. That's all God asks of his children. You might sum it up like this. However you wish your kids would ask you for stuff, that's how you're to ask your heavenly father. Go to him. Well, maybe you've noticed a pattern. In the manner you wish others would judge you, judge also them. However you want people to cast their good news before you, you cast it before them. However you wish your kids would ask you for stuff, that's how you're to ask your heavenly father. And he sums it all up. Verse Twelve. The summary: How a Christian relates to everyone. We, the most, probably the most famous line, even more so than "Judge not." The heart of the Old Testament in one verse. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And there we've reached the golden rule. You heard this? The golden rule, most widely cited and widely abused verse in all of Scripture. <laughs> The adult twist on the golden rule, of course, is, well, whoever has the gold gets to make the rules. <laughs> That's not it. The child's version is do one to others before they can do one to you. <laughs> also wrong. But a proper understanding of the golden rule acknowledges it begins with that therefore. In my translation, it's so, but the same word could be therefore. He's been building, therefore, therefore. With our brothers, we should offer help, not judgment. We should try not, uh, don't try to force the gospel down the throat of someone who won't listen to reason. Pray with confidence, knowing he hears us, knowing he hears us. Therefore, Jesus is saying, follow my teachings and you will fulfill the law and the prophets. Musicians are gonna come and lead us in a time of response. What, What would it do? What would it do as you unpack that application at school Tomorrow? Whatever you wish others would do for you, you do also to them. You go out of your way. You show radical love to others. At the ball game, in, the, in car line, in elementary school car line pickup, what would the golden rule do? At the office, in your marriage, in your home. You know, all this about not judging others, not being censorious, getting out of the condemnation game altogether, Boy, those are the most relaxed. They seem to be stress-free. Those are the Christians you want to emulate. They're not, they don't, they're not out to tear you down. They're not out to tear anybody down. They don't give condemnation. They don't really receive it. It rolls off them. Boy, they've got a handle on this. How is that possible? Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. It's interesting, isn't it? that The one who said judge not lest you be judged was in fact the one who was judged in our place he allowed himself to be judged in our place and for our salvation now you'll hear more about this on good friday i hope to see you there but let me just close with this thought i brought up the woman the pharisees were trying to trap jesus with the woman caught in adultery in john 8 he asked her a very interesting question after the pharisees dropped their rocks and walked off jesus asked the woman "Uh, ma'am is there no one here to condemn you And she answers, no one, my Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. What's interesting in that question is, is there no one here to condemn you? Jesus said the only condition was the one without sin could throw the first stone. And so she looks around. She goes, well, nobody's without sin. But she's wrong, isn't she? There is one without sin. There's literally one person who could throw that stone. And it was the one staring her in the face. The only one who could have thrown a stone that day chose not to. So the mercy scales were used. But you say, but there's got to be justice. You can talk about mercy all you want. Where's the justice? I mean, the fact is, the law of Moses hasn't changed and there, where is the wrath? Well, that you don't get for chapters later. But I'll go ahead and tell you, the, the wrath of God did fall and the ground did run red with the blood of fulfilled justice, but not her blood and it wouldn't be her body that was crushed that wrath would be diverted and fell across the back of the sinless spotless Lamb of God Jesus who died in her place and for her salvation so that she could go her way and sin no more and that's the offer to us that's the good news of the gospel that the judge, the only one who could judge stretched out his arms on a Roman cross and the judge was judged in our place. He walked down from that judge's bench. He took off his, his royal judge's robe, and he was crucified for us in our salvation. Judge not, because the judge has been judged in our place. Let's pray. God, grant to us that you would remove the beam out of my eye that I can more... Humbly help others. Grant, oh God, that you would remove judgment from us, that we wouldn't write anybody off or cast them, size them up and just just write them off. Cast them beyond the pale, Lord. Get us out of the condemnation business altogether and keep our eyes fixed on you, the judge who was judged in our place and for our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation? Pastor Scott will be here to receive any who come. You may want to come and pray. You may want to do as God leads. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art upon. I